How's everybody doing? Good. We are starting a brand new series. Um, I've got my PhD, so we're going to get some eye checks and see if everybody's good. Uh, how many of you have ever been to the eye doctor? Okay, some of you didn't roll your hands up. You need to go. Um, I know that one of the first things they do is they get you in there and they got that eye chart and they do the left eye, right eye, and they make you, and so you kind of, kind of see, and they, and they start, they, you know, if you're like me, they start, you know, they start, you know, they start way up here with me, and then they, you know, can you see the letter S? Can you pronounce it? No. They typically start at a certain level, and they work you down till they kind of see what you can see. And I've learned that as you, the older you get, the less you can see. Amen? Amen. Yeah, I, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't have to wear these. I only wore sunglasses. Uh, but I've, I've learned that as you get older, you can't see them as well. Some of you who are older and you don't have glasses, just be thankful, okay? Uh, just, that's a good thing. You don't have to wear glasses. Uh, but I went to the eye doctor a couple years ago, and, he, and uh, my doctor, he's like, you know, it's probably time to get those uh, progressive bifocals. Um, and those are really cool because in the old days, they had this defining line, am I right? And you, man, you're like, you're like, you know, the pr progressive is a little different now. And so depending on where you're sitting, everything can be super clear or go super blurry really quick. Am I right? How many of you got progressive bifocals? Okay, so you know that if you're sitting like right now, I can see everything's clear. But if I go like this, everything gets a little fuzzy. And what I've discovered is, is that sin in our life is kind of that way. That right now everything is crystal clear, but... If I bring my glasses up, everything gets a little fuzzy, and sin in my life gets a little fuzzy, depending on which way I'm looking at it. Right now, I can see it really clear. And so, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at seeing and being like Jesus. What was Jesus like about certain things? And today, we're going to look at how, how he saw sin. What is it? What, what, you know, we don't even like that word. I mean, I am, I have to tell you, I am, I have, I think there's a, you know, I get down here, it's 2030, you know, I can see, I can see somebody else's sin really good. Can I get an amen? amen? Man, we can see other people's sin really well. Matter of fact, we, I mean, we're like, like the, some sort of hawk or an owl, man. We can, oh man, I see their sin. But isn't it a little more difficult to see our own? We're not good. We don't really want to look at ours. Let's just look at everybody else's. Let's, let's compare. Let's look at how they're living their life. Let's look at the things they're doing or not doing. Let's look at their sin. I don't even want to, I want to look at mine. And I, I've learned this about myself, that I am really good. I can spot somebody else's sin from a mile away. I mean, I'm good at it. I can see it. So here, I want you to think about something. Um, is it easier to say, you're a sinner, or I'm a sinner? <laughs> Isn't it easier to say, you're a sinner? Isn't it easy to say, you're a sinner? But when was the last time any of us said, I'm a sinner? And we just sang this amazing song that the, about the grace of God. And yet we, we see that, and it's easier to say you're a sinner because it takes the, 
takes it off of us. We don't look as bad. Um, we we want to take the we want to look at your sin, not my sin. And Jesus was the master, and he had he had perfect eyesight to see into our lives. Perfect eyesight. So if you got your Bibles, go to John chapter five. We're going to camp there for just a moment. One of the things I've learned about sin is, um, depending on the lens in which you're looking at it, you can you can kind of say, "Well, it's not that bad. It's, it could be worse. I could be. I didn't kill anybody." Uh, how many of you have ever been working on something and you get a splinter in your hand? The splinter is an amazing thing because splinters typically are really small, really small but they're incredibly annoying, am I right? Especially if left. I was working out my garage yesterday and I was, I'm building this outfeed table for my table saw so it's safer and I was moving some stuff and I, and I got a pretty good splinter in my hand and I thought I pulled it out and everything was cool and, and so this morning I was getting ready and splinters are interesting because it's when you grab certain things in a certain way, it reminds you that it's still there. And sin is very much the same way. It is really, typically we look at it, oh, it's not that big a deal, I'm just going to let it stay. It, it kind of stings a little bit. But sin has a way of numbing us until applied pressure in the right moment, in the right situation. Then you go, oh! I remember this morning, I thought I cleaned it out and everything was good and I was getting ready and I remember that I grabbed something to pick up and take to the bedroom. And I went, yowza, it's still there, even though I thought I cleaned it out. And sin has a way that it kind of likes to get you numb to it. And here's the crazy thing. If I leave that in there long enough, I know that my, I'll adjust. And there'll be a piece of wood still there. I'll even give you a crazier story. When I was in second grade, we lived in Florida. And... Um, this kid and I were horsing around and he went up to the pencil sharpener and he went and sharpened a pencil and he took it like a dart and threw it at me um, and hit me in this eye right above right below my eyebrow and to this day you can ask me after the service I can close my eyelid and you'll see where the lead hit me And it's funny because that was painful, and I should have done something about it when I was seven years old. Um, but sin has a way of, of, of you avoiding it, of not dealing with it, because you, it's too painful, it's too scary. Um, you can explain it away. And he, at the end of today, I'm going to give you what I believe are the phases of how sin starts in our lives and how it resides in our life. Okay? And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go here in just a minute. But I want you to know something about this passage. This is a very interesting passage because Jesus is doing something, and this person really, to, for all practical purposes, is not a believer. I mean, he's, he's not a believer. We, we kinda, we, you kind of think that he's, Jesus is just doing this out of the mercy and out of who his character is to minister to this person. So what I want to do is I want to read the story to you, and then we're going to go back and unpack it. Does that sound like a deal? So we're in John chapter 5. We're just 1 through 17. It says this. It says, 
after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and the Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there was a now in Jerusalem by the uh, the uh, sheep gate a pool of Aramaic um, called Bethesda, and with five roof colonnades. Colonnades. There we go. And they lie a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man who was, had been there for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going in, another goes in and one step before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now the same. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said the man had been healed. So it, it is the Sabbath, and it is un, it is not lawful for you to take up your your bed. But they answered him, the man who healed me, the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They answered him, who is this man who said that to take up your man your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him. See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that, he, that it was Jesus who had healed him. And it was the way that, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working, my father is working until now, and I am working. So let me pray, and then let's look at what all just happened here, because there's a lot, some really cool stuff. God, I ask that, first off, that you would make known to us sin in our lives, not somebody else's sin, but our sin, that needs your attention. And God, that takes courage, that takes humility, that takes a humbling of our hearts to spend less time comparing it to somebody else and, and looking at your standards for it. And I pray over the next few moments, God, that not only do we recognize our sin, but we place it at the foot of the cross because that's where healing begins. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. All right, let's take a look at this. The man didn't do anything to deserve this. He wasn't this great, super spiritual guy. He was an invalid, and he was paralyzed and could not make his way. And so he, had, he needed help. He needed something to, to work and to do for him. And I love this because this story gives you an idea that, that Jesus did something for him very much like the cross because the cross was for everybody, but not everybody took advantage of it. Am I right? The cross was for everybody, but a lot of people said, I'm good. And so he did that. So let's go back and read this. This is... It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is an, in Jerusalem at the Sheep's Gate a pool in the Aramaic called Bethesda with five colonnades, colonnades and they lie a multitude of invalids, blame, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been there, an invalid, for 38 years. So the story you get here is the pool was a place typically where they brought their animals that they were going to be offering as sacrifice in the altar to be cleaned and to be blessed. And they thought that there was some sort of healing power in that. You can, there may have been, there may not have been. We don't really know that. You get a sense that there might have been because you had all these people sitting around this pool that maybe that could happen. But this guy had been there for, would you say a long time, 38 years? Long time. 
long time. He'd been there a long time. So let me ask you a question. What kind of sins would a, would a paralyzed person commit? Help me out, audience participation time. We'll start over here. What kind of sin could a paralyzed person commit? What? Envy, good one. What about here? Anger, good one. What about here? Patient, a lack of patience, what else? Hate, very good. What about here? Coveting, complaining, all, all good and probably right. It's funny because we think that a lot of, of sins are, are what's committed in acts, but a lot of sin, let's be honest, happen right between our ears. Don't they? The things we think, maybe the things we say, or the things we don't say. So you can imagine over 38 years that potentially in a paralyzed man, there were things running through his head. No one is here to help me. It's not fair that they got in. You can certainly anger and envy and bitterness. All those things were probably simmering over 38 years span. Long time. And so he has been there for 38 years. Isn't it? Look at, look at Jesus. Look, love how Jesus. First off, Jesus saw him. Now, let me ask. This is, this is an unusual passage because... It tells us there are lots of others there just like this guy, but Jesus only picks him out. And then he moves on. He doesn't heal everybody. He heals some. And if you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that Jesus doesn't heal everybody. He heals snippets of people all the way through. He feeds almost everybody, but he heals smaller portions here and there. He picks out this guy. And then Jesus says in verse 6, he says, when he saw him, Jesus has amazing eyesight to see people. He, he sees him. He doesn't just see a person. He sees the soul of a man. He says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, is this a kind of a strange question? Do you want to be healed? Is this a, of course I want to be healed. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, I've been here 38 years at that why are you asking me that question? You kind of know. But Jesus always is looking into the heart. He's looking into the heart of a man going, he sees, Jesus sees what's really going on in his soul. He says, do you want to be healed? And I love this about Jesus. If you look at the Gospels, Jesus never really forced himself on anybody. He gave you a choice. Rich young ruler, gave him a choice. The lawyer, Gave him a choice. Older brother of the prodigal gave him a choice. Younger brother gave him a choice. Mary and Martha gave him a choice. Prostitute gave her a choice. Always a choice. And I, I love this because his question is really, he's really leading him to deliverance if, if the guy will take it. He really wants to heal him. Jesus sees really what's going on. He really wants to do something in his life. And I love this. This is an old quote. I don't even know, I don't know who would get credit for it, but it's, it, this quote has, has been around a long time. And every time I find, I look it up, it just says anonymous. And it says, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And I've learned that about myself, that sin has a way of costing you a lot. 
It, it does. It, 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 you never intended to stay that long there. You, it, you didn't expect that it would cost, that there'd be this duration of time. It just, it just goes on. And so Jesus hits him this powerful question, do you want to be healed? Now look at what it says in verse 7. It says, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I am going in, another steps in before me. He gives him an excuse. I would think he would just would have said yes. I want to get. I want to be better, but he thinks that those people won't help me. Those people won't take care of me. And I, it's interesting because sin, in his case, sin in his case taught him that God is a first serve, first come God. First one in the water gets the blessing. And he, I'm sure he was going, God, you are so unfair. All these other guys can get it, and I can't. Uh, whatever, whatever was happening in that pool was stirring within him anger, bitterness, resentment, and a host of other sins that were resounding in his soul. And I would eventually, I know this about sin in my life, that it may start here, but it eventually will come out in words or the lack of words. And so Jesus does this amazing thing. Jesus looks at him and doesn't say, do you trust me? Do you follow me? Look at what he does in verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. He doesn't ask him if he goes to church. He doesn't ask him if he's one of his followers. He just says, get up, take your mat, and go. So one of the things this shows us is that Jesus is about healing people who aren't always, they may not follow him. Some of the parables of, of some of the healings of Jesus, we get a sense that not everybody, he just healed. He had a purpose, he had a plan, he had a purpose, he, was, he always had a reason for what he did. You have to think about that for a second because if you've ever had to rehab, it takes time to get something back when you've lost it. Can you believe that he was paralyzed so the atrophy of his body was immense. And then miraculously and instantaneously, God has, Jesus touches him or utters the words, and then he is functioning for the first time in 38 years. He actually can get up, walk around, has the physical strength to do that, and carry his mat and go on his merry way. This is a really interesting thing because you see him do this, and Jesus, Jesus is, Jesus keeps moving on. I love this. Jesus, I love this about Jesus when he, when he talks about seeing. Jesus has the eyes to see past your exterior to the true essence of your heart. He looks back and he wants to make you whole. So this was step one for this guy. He physically healed this guy. He wanted this guy to be able to get up and walk and take his map. Jesus, is, Jesus always has reason. He's, like, he's the master chess player because he's always thinking multiple moves ahead. He has a purpose for this. Paul said these words out of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away, and behold, the new has come. The idea is that Christ wants, to, wants the old to go away and the new to come. He wants us to let that old self die and not keep resurrecting it and kind of keeping it with us. And so he takes up his mat. He doesn't even say thank you. He doesn't even go, wow. He just gets his mat because he told him to and 
takes it on his merry way. So look what happens in verse 9. He says, and at once, this goes to what the power of Jesus' words. At once means he was healed and is on his way. At once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. That was a Sunday. It was a big no-no to do any of that kind of religious work. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Do you think that they knew this guy had been an invalid for the past 38 years? Probably. And that he'd been sitting paralyzed and helpless and needing assistance for everything for the past 38 years. Instead of rejoicing, they were condemning. Here's the beautiful thing about this. Jesus was working not only in his life, but he was also trying to teach the religious leaders of his day a valuable lesson as well. A valuable lesson. And I know this about sin in my life, and you may know this about your own life, is the sinful heart doesn't celebrate. It looks for additional sins. When Jesus sees the heart of a person, he looks into that person. He wants to make it well. And he, he deals with the physical for the guy because that's the pretty obvious thing. He, he takes care of the physical aspect of him. He also knows he's got some religious leaders watching all of this play out. And they can't rejoice about this guy's physical affirmity being healed. They can't say, yay, God. They go, you know, that shouldn't have happened on a Sunday. That shouldn't have never happened on a Sunday. That should have never taken place on a Sunday. And when sin is, is residing in us, we typically are looking to shoot holes in somebody. You know, you've cleaned up that area of your life, but you know, you've got these other rough edges. Just saying. Just saying. Instead of celebrating that this guy was physically healed, they were looking to shoot holes and not celebrate. How can you not celebrate a guy that's been paralyzed and now is walking and carrying a mat, which they should have said, how did this happen? Who is this person? Who is this person? And, and the, we, we love this. I, I'm going to give you a couple of other things. If you're taking notes, these might be helpful to you. Self-rule is a fierce battle over lordship issues when it comes to sin. Man, there's a battle going on. There was a battle for, the, for this guy that was just been healed. The religious leaders, they were in a fierce battle for who is going to be Lord over their lives. And sin has a way of helping you kind of try to draw lines. Well, you're not as bad as so-and-so. You're doing pretty well. Let me just help you out. Sin is anything that God finds offensive. And uh, you know what a lot of people try to do? I, does God even speak to that thing? Just dig into the Word. A lot of people avoid the Bibles because they don't want to know what God really says about things. We hide from it. And so the religious leaders had this internal struggle going on. He was healed, but it was on a Saturday or on a Sunday. Uh, we're going we're gonna to nix that because that doesn't really count. And outward conformity can hide the true heart. The religious leaders outwardly said all the right things. The, the way that Jesus works is he sees beyond the exterior show that we like to put on. We don't want anybody to know that we still got some pretty rough edges. Isn't it hard to admit sin, yes or no? It's hard. We can, we're really good at telling you about everybody else's, but man, when it comes to ours, 
man, we don't like to talk about ours. We don't even like to say we have it. But God's going, I, I see it. Why are you ignoring it? Why are you hiding from it? And the religious leaders, he was trying to show them that they were, their outwardness was, was taking away from the joy of what he was trying to teach. That this guy had been healed, and all they're talking about is it shouldn't have happened on a Saturday or Sunday. Come on now. And that outward shell that we're trying to project to everybody that we got it all together hides bitterness and anger and resentment and lust and countless other. If you're just not really sure what all that is, go look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. You get a pretty good picture of what Jesus is dealing with. Jesus dealt with the heart. But look at, what that, look at, look, look at how this guy that's been healed passes the buck. Look at verse 11. It says, but he answered them, the man... The man, his name is Jesus, but he doesn't even know that. The man, he doesn't even know who did this amazing thing in his life. The man who healed me, the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. I have no idea. But it was a pretty cool thing for me because now I'm walking. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Jesus typically kind of just pulled back. But Jesus has a plan. He always likes to come back and check. Crowd dies down. Verse 14 comes to play. And afterward, Jesus found him. I love this. First off, Jesus saw him. And then Jesus found him. That means he went out and looked for him. And he finds him. Look at it. It says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Physically, he is well. Would you all agree? He is physically well. But then look at what he says. See, you are well. Sin no more. That nothing worse may happen to you. Sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. He dealt with the physical, and now he comes back to him and says, you know I have the ability to heal your sins, your physical body, but I also have the ability to see into your heart for who you are and the way you are, and the path that you're on is destructive. See, what Jesus was seeing, can you, let me paint a picture. He's been paralyzed for 38 years, He's had people pass him by over those 38 years. Do you think there might have been a potential for him to go, yes, Sonny, where were you all those years? You didn't come and help me get out of here. Do you think he was going over and giving a few people a piece of his mind? Possibly. Maybe. Could he be walking around going, yeah, I'm free, but no, sure no one around to help me. Can you imagine the envy? Can you imagine that his sympathy may not have been as much for those people that were still around that pool? Would he have sympathy for them? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. But Jesus was saying pretty clearly, sin no more. He said the same thing to the prostitute caught in adultery. Interesting story. They caught her, not him. Last I checked, takes two. Different story. Sin no more. He tells the girl the same thing. Let's her go. He says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. What, I've been paralyzed for 38 years. What worse could it be? 
what worse could it be? I've, I've, it's funny because um, I read about six to seven commentaries, and they were kind of all processing this idea. And I, I was thinking about this. I want to give you a couple things to write down. This might be helpful to you. Being freed from our affliction may not lead to a godly or better life. Okay? Physically, he was healed. But Jesus was looking at his soul. The soul, where, where was it headed? He goes, sin no more because it, it, it could get worse. It could get worse. And I, and I thought about this. The, the two worst for me is that his sin could lead him to a permanent separation of God because he doesn't have a relationship with him. And his bitterness and anger and resentment and all those things could well up in him to a degree that he could not see the need for salvation in his life. That's worse, am I right? That's much worse. And that would lead to a permanent separation that he would never enter the gates of heaven, eternal life with Christ. He would be eternally separated with him in hell. So that's certainly much worse than the physical 38 years because that's eternity, that's done. The other piece that I would add to that is that I don't know about you, but when somebody sins a whole lot and never deals with it, and it just doesn't it affect our spiritual life? How do I know this? Because being a youth pastor and a pastor, when somebody starts down a path of sin, first thing they typically do is quit coming to church. They quit associating with people who might re remind them of a relationship that they once had with Christ. That, that sin typically takes them down a path that they never thought they would go. Never. Never dreamed of it. Never thought I would be here. I remember I had a girl in, uh, when I was, I was a youth pastor a long time ago, and she, she was messing around with cigarettes, and I called her on it one night, and I said, I'm going to tell you something. That, that that has a path to it. And if you don't deal with it now, you'll be doing this when you're older. And she was like, you know what she said to me? I can quit anytime I want. How many of you know that that's about, that's a lie? It's amazing because she said, I can quit anytime I want. I was like, then why don't you? And you know what she said? I don't want to. Sin has a way if you want to keep doing something, you will find a reason to do it. And so it was really funny. Um, about 10 years elapses, and I'm on Kellogg, and I'm at a stoplight waiting for the light to change, and I'm just kind of looking around, and I went, hey! And she has one in her mouth. And you know what she does? She flicks it into the passenger side seat of her car <laughs> where there's no one there. And then she waves, and I can see that look of fear that she's throwing a lit match or, or cigarette into the floorboard of her car. It was really funny because I'm trying not to laugh because I, I saw her go, oh, hey, Danny, how you going? <laughs> and, and we're sitting at the light, and you know the Kellogg lights way back in the day before they did the whole construction were much longer than they are now. So we're sitting there, and, and you could see she's like, and then all of a sudden I see her disappear because she's reaching for the cigarette that's now in the floorboard of her car. And she, she gets it back up and she kind of waves and she kind of does the flick out the other side so it goes actually out of the passenger side. Thankfully, there was no one on the other side of her car. 
another story. But when she was 12, she said, I quit anytime I want. I just don't want to. And now she was in her 30s. And I just saw her a couple of months ago, and she's now in her 40s. And I asked her, I said, do you remember that conversation? And she said, I do. You know what she said to me? I can't now. It's just too hard. And see, sin has a way of breaking you down, of breaking you down. And Jesus saw this in that man's life. He saw that physically, the physical, Jesus knew that if he didn't deal with his physical thing, he couldn't deal with the heart thing. So Jesus says, let me, let me heal him physically so we can have this conversation. Jesus was great at this. When he feeds the 5,000 several times, he's feeding them because he knows they're hungry, and then he can teach them. And he does the same thing here. He heals him physically so he can actually have the conversation about his real heart because he knows if he doesn't heal him, then there's no, he, the kid's going to go, I, I'm paralyzed. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the obvious. And so Jesus does that for him. And so verse 15 says this, And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Verse 17, But Jesus answered them. So Jesus was in proximity to this. My Father is working until now, and I am working. Jesus is at work. He sees people. He deals with the heart. He deals with sin. And he, he wants people to find peace and healing in their lives. And see, when Jesus looks at your sin, he doesn't go, wow, you are such a bad sinner. He looks at, I want to redeem you so that you can be my child. And regardless of your sin, he can do that. He has the ability to do that. He has, he has the ability, if, if he can heal you physically, he can do anything in your heart to redeem you, to heal you from your past or your present situation. So here, here are my phases. I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot. I want you to think about your life. Don't think about anybody else. Think about a sin that you struggle with. And if you don't have one, then ask the person to your left or your right. They'll probably got one for you. I'm just saying. There are, I believe, about eight phases to how sin manifests itself in our lives. And so think about your sin. Think, got one? Okay. All right. First one is pretty simple. The first time you commit a particular sin, there's a bit of shock and surprise. Oh, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I can't, wow, I, oh, that, this is not good. I'll, there's a bit of a, oh, I can't, oh, wow, I should never have done that, but I did, and here we go. That's phase one. There's a bit of shock and surprise. The second one is pretty interesting. Nothing really bad happened. Hmm. Not a lot of consequence. I came out of it kind of unscathed, not a big deal. Phase one, shock and surprise. Phase two, nothing really bad happened. Phase three, no one really knows. Just a few people kind of got it hidden. No one at church knows. Number four, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? No one died. I didn't commit murder. Number five, I know lots of people who do far worse things than that. Do you see the progression? Shock and surprise. Nothing really bad happened. No one really knows. What's the big deal? And I know people who do far worse than I do. Ah, oh, 
on. Number six, one of my favorite. I'm going to seek the right people to give me an opinion about my sin that is favorable. If I talk to enough right people that go, oh, yeah, I've done that. It's not a big thing. You find enough people that will agree with you that your sin is not that big a deal, you can find those people because they're doing them too. Let me help you out. Seek the right opinions to validate your sin. Number seven, I'm not even sure that's a sin anymore. In this culture, everything is changing. It's, you know, the Bible was written so long ago. Are you really sure that's really a sin anymore? Not sure anymore. Not sure. Number eight, sin has taken root and you no longer are convicted or concerned because you measure your sinfulness based on everybody else. Do those phases make sense? And they are real, folks. And you may jump in at phase five, but eventually the goal of sin is for you to not be convicted or concerned about it anymore. Much like a splinter. How many of you have ever had a rock in your shoe and instead of just taking off your shoe and just dumping the rock, you kind of just move it around? How many of you have ever done that? Thank you. You just move it around. It, 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 it takes four seconds to take off your shoe and dump the rock out, but we're like, oh, you know, I don't got time to move that. Sin is like that. You just, we just kind of move it around, kind of just kind of get it. We, what we do with sin is we try to find it in a comfortable spot and leave it there. Because I don't want to do, I don't want to take the effort to actually deal with it. And those phases, shock and surprise, nothing really bad happened. No one really knows. What's the big deal? Lots of people do worse things. Seek the right of people to validate your sin. I'm not even sure that's sin anymore. And the number eight is the perfect thing. You are no longer convicted or concerned because you're always comparing it to other people. And if I do that, then, uh, man, I, the halo's just gigantic. I mean, you all need sunglasses because I'm, I'm so perfect. Start laughing, yes. <laughs> See, that's the thing, is when we look at other people, we compare ourselves, and God says, I see your heart. I see you. And when he tells the paralyzed man, he says, sin no more or worse can happen. He sees not only a salvation moment, but he also sees the pathway of sin always lead you, always lead you away from God, not toward him. The desire of sin has put a wedge between you and God so that you'll go a different path. George McDonald said this. He says, I believe that no man is ever condemned for any sin except one, that he will not leave his sins and come out of them and be the child of him who is his father. That's the goal. Is sin has a way of just pulling us away. There's no sin that God can't redeem. No sin, okay? And the last thing is this. Spiritual healing is more valuable physical healing. Physical healing is, we all want that, but man, Jesus is always about the heart, always about the heart. You can get healed physically, but be eternally separated from God. That's why he was talking about this to this guy. And so I go back to that question that Jesus said, and I'll say this to you this morning. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? See, Jesus is asking that of us this morning. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to find Jesus, this redeeming Jesus, the song that the choir sang, that, that grace that is poured out on us that you go, wow. Do 
you stand in the awe of that grace that can free you. Jesus is saying, do you want to be healed or are you just going to continue on in this pace of life? Are you going to see if you can just kind of massage and get around it and move the rocks around or not touch anything where the splinter doesn't reveal itself? He is saying, do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? The, only, the first step is that to say, God, this sin in my life has taken far too much. I have struggled with gossip. I've struggled with bitterness. I've struggled with envy. I've struggled with pride. Whatever yours is, do you have the courage to say, God, I want to be healed. I want to be free. For some of you in this room, God wants to heal you physically, but more importantly, he wants to heal you spiritually, and that means a relationship with him, taking a step and saying, God, I need you to be the centerpiece of my life. I can't clean up my life enough. And maybe that's a step you need to take. So let me pray, and then I'm going to ask that God would, would do just an amazing healing in your life this morning. So let's pray. God, probably the most penetrating question we can ask ourselves this morning is, do we want to be healed? It's certainly worthy to pray for others who are struggling with sin in their life. But I have to be honest, God, I think we spend so much time praying for other sin that we rarely pray for our own because we don't like the look of it, we're ashamed of it, or worse, we're not even convicted or concerned about it anymore. It has been there so long that we don't even see it. God, I, I pray that we would see sin the way that you do. It's offensive to you. It never smells good. And it steals from our relationship with you. It robs us of it. And the first step is to see it. The second step is to acknowledge it. The third step is to surrender it. And that takes courage. And I pray for the next few moments, God, there may be some in this room, they need to surrender. They need to surrender their lives to you. That would be awesome. Myself or Brad, we would love to talk to them about that. There may be some in this room that just, they just need to do business with you. They, need, they want to be healed. They've never asked for it. They've prayed for lots of other people about their sin. But maybe it's time today that they pray for their own. Maybe they're a chronic worrier. Maybe they have a pride issue or a gossip issue or a bitterness issue. And those things are stealing from their relationship with you and with other people that we love. God, I just say thank you for seeing our sin the way that you do and for being willing to redeem it and that you have the power to redeem it. And that gives me peace and that gives me hope. Father, for the next few moments, if there are people who make, make, need to make decisions, I pray that they would respond accordingly. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I'll ask you to stand. Altar is open. Myself or Brad.